This ReachMD program is featured on Sermo, a free online community exclusively for physicians. To discuss this program with your colleagues, visit sermo.com. When you join, enter ReachMD into the promotional box to receive a $15 Amazon gift card. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. I'm Dr. Sherwin Ho from the University of Chicago. My guest this week will be Dr. Pierce Scranton, a practicing orthopedic surgeon from Seattle, ex-president of the NFL Physician Society and former team physician for the Seattle Seahawks. This is Susan Dolan. Join me this week when my guest will be Dr. Bill Manahan from the University of Minnesota Medical School in Minneapolis, Minnesota, discussing the book Living Consciously, Dying Gracefully. And I'm Dr. Bruce Bloom. Join me and my guest, Christy Rowagan, Deputy Director of Emergency Preparedness for the City of Minneapolis, who tells us some of the stories of heroism around the Minneapolis Bridge Collapse. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157 presents a special series focused on diabetes, the epidemic that threatens America. To view this week's complete program guide and listen to previous shows on demand, visit ReachMD.com. You're listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. Hi, I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and I am at the Midwest Lipid Association meetings in Minneapolis, and I'm serving as a roving lipidologist. I've been talking to some of the keynote speakers after they've given their talks and uh, able to give you an on-the-ground perspective of what's going on here at the meetings. I'm here with Dr. Michael Davidson of the University of Chicago, and uh, he just delivered a brilliant lecture on statin safety. And Michael, I was wondering if you could just mention some of the highlights from your talk for our listeners. Sure. I, I think most importantly, the National Lipid Association Statin Safety Task Force wanted to emphasize the safety of statins in general, that they're, they're very safe medications, that they're very well tolerated, and there may be an increased risk of side effects when you go from the 40 to 80 milligram dose. In particular, with simvastatin, it's more muscle-related, and with the torvastatin, it's more liver-related. But these are safe drugs, and we um, have come up with what we think are good guidance for clinicians to avoid stopping statins prematurely for side effects that may not be statin-related. Well, Michael, what do we do now that all the pharmacy management companies and all the insurance companies want us to go with generic simvastatin and push that before we can put them on another medicine? You're saying that perhaps going to higher doses of simvastatin are not in our patient's best interest. That's right. I think that simvastatin 80 is a reasonably good dose of a statin, and it has a safety profile that is okay but not great. For example, um, 2040 of simvastatin is a, is a good, safe dose, but going to 80 milligrams, you more than double your risk of liver enzyme elevation, and more significantly, you increase your rate of muscle destruction or myopathy by only providing an extra 5% LDL lowering. So I don't think the risk is worth the benefit in the majority of patients. And so I, I think as clinicians, we can provide some pushback to managed care to say that I'll have a patient on 40 milligrams and they're an elderly woman who's on multiple other drugs, trying to push up to 80 milligrams is really not in that patient's best interest. So we could go with a lower dose of a more potent statin, such as rosuvastatin. Or torvastatin, or add on azetamide, use a combination. I think that's where things are going, particularly for 80 milligrams of simvastatin, is probably the most problematic dose when it comes to safety. Tell me what happened when Crestor came out. Why did it get such a bad rap, and, and what's this thing you talk about called the Weber effect? I think the problem with 
when Crestor was first launched, it, it, it unfortunately had come right after, a year after the withdrawal of Baycall from the market, which was uh, creates a lot of concern about, about statin safety. Baycall was unique among the statins in its dosing, its pharmacokinetics, and had a, a true increased risk of rhabdomyolysis associated with that. So here comes Crestor, new to the market, and is that Baycall hangover still exist about safety concerns. There was some reports of rhabdomyolysis with 80 milligrams of Crestor in the past that made people concerned about the 40 milligrams of Crestor. So any new drug that gets launched has an increased side effect profile reported to the FDA. It's, just, it's called the Weber effect. Any new drug has this, including even Zetia, any, had, even Zetia had a higher reporting rate. But the most important thing is over time, the reporting rates come down. With Baycall, it kept going up, which was a clear signal that there was something wrong with Baycall, but Crestor, the rates, reporting rates kept coming down, which is a reassurance that this is a safe stat up to the 40 milligram dose. The other thing that about Crestor was because it had such bad publicity, the reporting rates were being affected by that as well. Every time there was a bad media event, there would be a spike up in reporting rates uh, for Crestor, and so that was all being tallied in the reporting rates. But when you look at very serious reporting rates, rhabdomyolysis or renal failure, those things were not being increased with Crestor, which, which is, again, reassuring that this reporting rate bias was, was not really a concern regarding Crestor safety. Where does the NLA stand these days on checking LFTs routinely on patients on statins? Well, after exhaustive search of all the trials with statin and liver effects, we felt it wasn't necessary to monitor liver enzymes really for two reasons. One is cost issues. The cost did not justify the benefit. And secondly, we felt that physicians were being overly concerned about mild liver enzyme elevations that would cause statins to be discontinued. And these may occur in patients with fatty liver where their cardiovascular risk is elevated, and they may be inappropriately being labeled as being statin intolerant, and that put them at you know, higher risk for cardiovascular events in the future. So we thought they were doing more harm than good, not just on cost, but also on overall outcomes for the patients. And then tell me a little bit about this guy, I. Zimmerman, you mentioned in your talk today. I don't think uh, anyone's really ever heard of him. What did, what did he teach us? So I. Zimmerman is a famous liver specialist, pharmacologist, who discovered what's called, now called High's Rule, that a serious liver enzyme elevation in a drug development program would be 10 times upper limit of normal with bilirubin three times the baseline, three times upper limit of normal. So basically a, uh, an ALT over 500 and a bilirubin over three. You'd use that as an example. If that occurs, that's a sign of serious liver toxicity that can lead to fulminate uh, liver necrosis and death in rare circumstances. So with stans, we have not seen that. Very, very rarely is that seen. In fact, fulminate liver failure with statins is the same as the background population. So we, we felt that in most cases with transaminitis that you see with statins, there's an adaption phenomenon occurs where the liver enzymes eventually go back down to normal. But if bilirubin does go up, that's something you do see with a patient. That's something you'd be more concerned about uh, developing liver toxicity. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm talking with Dr. Michael Davidson, professor of cardiology at the University of Chicago Pritzker School of Medicine. And we're at the Midwest Lipid Association meetings in Minneapolis. And Dr. Davidson just gave a talk on statin safety. And then for practicing physicians out there, I, I often get asked, I have a patient, Dr. Caskell, that has LFTs that are slightly elevated and I want to put them on a statin. What do I do? Do I need to see if they've got fatty liver? Do I really need to find an explanation for their LFTs before I put them on the statin? Or can I start the statin safely? I think if, if you suspect fatty liver, which you can likely do by just the fact the patient has obese and diabetes and metabolic syndrome, then I think that you don't really need to do an intensive investigation of why the liver enzymes are elevated. 
and, and we're talking about below three times upper limit of normal or below two times upper limit of normal, putting them on a statin, in my opinion, is okay. And you could use that as a doubling of baseline, maybe as your role of more further evaluation. But in, in studies of patients with fatty liver, there's some small studies putting them on statins. They didn't say not any adverse outcomes for those patients. And sometimes, probably with some of the statins, you might see actually the LFTs come down. That's right. Their triglycerides, as their triglycerides, and, and they're improving their improving lipid profile. You know, I have a patient who has primary biliary cirrhosis, and she's got severe coronary artery disease. Her hepatologist was concerned about putting her on a statin. But if you look at what's more likely to kill her, it's going to be coronary artery disease than primary biliary cirrhosis. So we actually did put her on a statin. She's doing fine on it. And that's good to know. I've, I've never have tried in that type of patient before, but so it's good to hear that. You gave a talk last night on uh, new drugs and development. And uh, what would you say is the most promising one in the pipeline that you are most excited about? The most promising one right now, because HDL-raising drugs are going to be now way, way, way for the clinicians out there. But... What's most exciting is the antisense ApoB approach. It is a uh, using uh, interference RNA or, or, or RNA that that combines with the transmission to the make the protein. It's an exciting technology. The Nobel Prize was awarded in 2006 for this approach, but we can give an injection of this antisense ApoB maybe once a month and lower LDL by about 50 percent. Now there are issues, skin reactions, maybe liver toxicity that needs to be monitored, but um, it really would be a breakthrough for those people that cannot. Uh, get to target with existing therapy. Or who can't even handle statins. Or, or maybe have need phoresis right now, LDL phoresis. So that would be what I think is the most exciting on the horizon for the treatment. Is there anyone working on a way to get that orally? Potentially could be orally delivered, but that's still going to be, that's going to take a lot longer to develop. Michael, uh, we heard a really good talk this morning by Ira Goldberg about triglycerides. Was there anything that you took away from that that, that you didn't know beforehand? Well, I think that what uh, Ira Goldberg, you know, did a really nice review of the complexities behind triglycerides, and I think his bias, like mine, is that triglycerides are an important risk factor to treat. We need more evidence to support treatment from clinical trials, but the um, fact that there's many different aspects of triglycerides that are involved in metabolism make it a very interesting subject, and one thing that, that I thought was fascinating was the fact that statin-induced myalgias might be due to high cholesterol in the muscle cells because the statins increase elder receptor upregulation and getting more cholesterol in the muscle cells causing uh, muscle aches and pains, and maybe that's why long-distance runners, they don't tolerate statins as well because they already have higher cholesterol content in their muscle because they use that for long-distance running. So it's an interesting theory, but um, I think we need more evidence to talk about you know, what the etiology is. But triglycerides are very complicated. The more we learn about them, the more we, we don't quite understand, but I still think it's an important target to consider for treatment. Last question, you were, you were one of the pioneers with getting fish oil to be recognized as a valuable treatment in lowering triglycerides. I have seen the benefits in my practice, uh, definitely will lower it. Uh, do we know any more about how it's actually working? There's several different theories. You know, Ira Goldberg brought up that whole oxidation, degradation of ApoB, which is very complicated, and I mean, people don't understand it. But the bottom line for omega-3 is that at the genomic level, at the gene level, it turns off the genes that make triglycerides. That's the key thing about omega-3s that appear to be important. So it's a direct inhibitor of triglyceride synthesis. All right, so you think we'll be seeing a lot more from fish oil in the future? I think it's got a lot of potential to grow because two reasons. One, uh, triglycerides are getting a lot worse in this country. I think that people have limitations on where they can go with other drugs, niacin and, and fibrates. And so I think we're going to see more omega-3s as an option for patients with, with elevated triglycerides. Michael Davidson, thanks for talking to us. Thanks, Larry. It's been great. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Michael Davidson. You've been listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. 
Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. You're listening to Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Here is a sample of the great shows airing this week. I am Paul Rayburn, host of Innovations in Medicine. This week, my guest is Dr. Mark Olson, a psychiatrist at Columbia University, who will talk to us about bipolar disorder in children. Please be with us. This is Dr. Leslie Lunt. Join me this week where my guest will be Dr. Susan McDaniel. We will be discussing how families make decisions with each other about genetic testing. And I'm your host, Dr. Michael Benson. Can good control of blood sugars reduce the risk to mother and fetus for those with gestational diabetes? Join us this week as we talk with Dr. Thomas Moore. Listen all month as ReachMD XM157 presents a special series focused on diabetes, the epidemic that threatens America. To view this week's complete program guide and listen to previous shows on demand, visit ReachMD.com.